Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Worship team, I particularly want to thank uh, Renady who stepped in at the last minute when I had not checked my rota and not realised that I was on to lead worship and preach today, which is never good for you um, to have me doing both. And so Renady stepped in at the last minute. And, and boy, don't we appreciate it when he leads worship. Yeah. does it so sensitively. So, so thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Lovely to hear some harmonies. We don't often get harmonies, but there's some beautiful harmonies coming through. And oh boy, does it make a difference to have the drums, folks, eh? No, no, what a star. Yeah, go on, give him a a thank you. It's great. Okay, well, um, last week we uh, started looking at the subject of living in exile. And the Bible, particularly the New Testament, talks about Christians, it describes Christians as living in exile, which is an odd phrase, isn't it? But that's what the New Testament says. And to live in exile means that you are not living in the country that you really belong to. You're, you're living away from home. Um, we haven't got Val and Faith here at the moment, but some of us who know Val and Faith will know that Val went through quite some some traumas a few months ago, just getting his citizenship in the UK. It it was difficult. And for a while, I think he probably just felt like he didn't belong anywhere because it felt like the UK didn't really want him. And and he he couldn't go home because his family is here. And just he felt a little bit out of it and in between and uncomfortable. And actually, that's what living in exile can feel a bit like. And other words that the New Testament uses to describe that are words like strangers, aliens, a very old English word, sojourners. And we looked at that word last week because sojourners means to, to, to be on a journey, to be passing through but close by. That's what that word means. You're passing through but you're close by. And the New Testament describes us as Christians as being exiles, as being sojourners, as passing through but being close by. We're close by the world. We're close by our work colleagues, our friends, our families. We're close by them. God's put us close by them, but there's a sense as well where we're passing through. There's an old uh, song that used to be sung years ago. um, This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. And for Christians, that's what it's a bit like. We're sojourners. We're exiles. We sometimes can feel like we don't quite belong. And actually, we should expect that to be the case because that's what the Bible talks about. The Bible pulls back the curtain sometimes for us to just show what things are really like. And what's it like for us to live in exile? Well, actually, the Bible gives us a really good example of how to live in exile, what's happening behind the scenes. You know, um, if you go and see a play and there's the curtains at the back and there's all the scenery... But you don't see what's happening behind the scenes. Some years ago, I went to see The Lion King. And at that time, um, one of the parents at the school where I taught uh, worked behind the scenes at The Lion King. And so once the, the, the performance was over, 
I went and met him and he took me round the back. He took me up, up right over the top of the stage. We went into the costume rooms, to the makeup department. It was just fascinating seeing how this amazing show worked from behind the scenes. It's the thing that we don't usually get to see. And the Bible is actually God's way of sort of pulling back the curtain to show us what's happening behind the scenes a little bit, what's not obvious and evident. And the Bible also talks about itself and says it's, it's God-breathed, it's God-inspired. But it also says this, it says that unless the Holy Spirit works, it sounds like foolishness. That's what it says. It says, to the natural person, Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, to the natural person, God's words sound like foolishness. You need the, you need the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit breathes on his word, it is God's very word for you, for me, at this moment. He's pulling away the curtain. And last week we looked at the beginning of this story of Daniel as an example of how to live in exile. The people of Israel had just been taken into exile into Babylon. And God had predicted it was going to happen. In the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah's whole book is really loads of it. It's about the people of Israel who are going to be taken into exile. They've, they've chosen other gods. There's reasons for it. And God says to them, right, you're going to go into exile. But then in Jeremiah, he also tells them, look, while you're in exile, plant gardens, build homes, have families, increase while you're there. And he also says this to them. Seek the good of the city. Seek the welfare of the city. Because in its welfare, you will find your own blessing. So he tells the people, you're in exile, but you're to seek the welfare of the place where you've been sent. You're to seek its good. And then we find Daniel and his friends come into this picture, and they are also, they've been taken into exile with the rest of the people of Israel, but they've been picked out. So Nebuchadnezzar, who is the, the, the king of the, the Babylonian Empire, and at that time the Babylonian Empire was the biggest empire in the world. It would be the same as sort of, I don't know, America and Russia, the two superpowers. Well, Babylon at that time was the superpower. And the way that they dealt with nations that they overcame was they, they wanted to assimilate them into their culture. And so they pick these young men and they say, right, come and you're going to live near the king's palace. We're going to give you the king's food. We're going to teach you that our language and our culture. In fact, we're even going to change your names. And Daniel and his three friends, um, Mishael, Hananiah, Azariah, that's it. His three friends and him, they, they change their names. So Daniel's called Belshazzar and, and the other three are called uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And all of those three, those four names are, are to do with actually the Babylonian gods. What are these guys doing? They're wanting to assimilate these guys. They're saying, right, we, you, know, you now belong to us. You are becoming Babylonian. You are no longer God's chosen people. You thought you were. You're not Israelites. You're, God, you're now Babylonian. And there's this effort to assimilate them. We looked at how the world can make that effort to assimilate us. But actually, they, they resolved. Do you remember? It said Daniel resolved. He wasn't going to allow this to happen. 
So he negotiates not to eat some of the king's food because they felt it was impure, and so they they stuck with their resolve. At the end of Daniel chapter 1, we looked at last week, we find that as these three young men are then presented before Nebuchadnezzar, after three years of training, it says that God gave them wisdom beyond the wisdom of all the other advisors that he had. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar says, these guys are ten times wiser than all my advisors. And that's where we left Daniel and those, his three friends at the end of the last sermon, at the end of chapter one. We left him there. Nebuchadnezzar has said, boy, these guys are wise. Do you know what? I want them in my group of wise counsellors. Things are going well. Well, we're now going to look at chapter two. And again, we're just going to look and see the what God's revealing as he pulls back the curtain for us about living in exile, as Daniel and his friends continue in exile. Now, the words are not going to come up. Usually we put the words up, don't we? We're not doing that today. Um, many of you will know that my, my background is a primary school teacher, and, and now I, I train primary school teachers. And uh, if you ask any, any primary school teacher what it's like trying to teach maths at the end of a Friday afternoon, they'll tell you you're, it's, it's like you, you, you might be a bashing your head against a brick wall. You might as well forget it. Trying to teach maths to a group of eight-year-olds on a Friday afternoon, you forget it. You can have a really tricky day with children. You can be bashing your head against the brick wall, and then you get to the end of Friday afternoon, and you might think, well, end of Friday afternoon is just a waste of time trying to do anything. You know what the one thing they'll listen to is? Story. You can have had the day from hell with your class. You open a good book at the end of the day. The rapt, rapt attention. The dark and stormy night. Three sailors were sitting by a fire. One said, tell us a story. And so it began. (laughs) You've got them. And actually, do you know what? Scientists have found that stories are what scientists call, are you ready for a scientific term here? Psychologically privileged. What it means is that our brains are hardwired to connect with stories almost more than any other form of spoken word. And actually think, you know, that's true, actually, because, yeah, you've sat through many of our sermons, you've sat through a good few of mine if you've come here for a while, but probably you know that you can drift off a bit, but when I start telling you a story or an anecdote, you're there. We're, we all connect with story. So isn't God amazing that this is full of stories? It's full of stories. Isn't it amazing that Jesus told stories, parables. Well, of course, it's not that amazing, isn't it? Because he created everything, so he knows that that's how we're wired. He wired us that way himself. So what you're going to do is you're going to listen to a bit of a story. I'm going to tell you the next part of the story of Daniel. What we also find, what scientists tell us, is that there are some things that you can do visually that will help you with story. What do you think they are? Pictures. Or diagrams. Well, I'm not going to put a diagram, but there's going to be a couple of pictures that will appear at a particular moment in the story. It'll help us to connect. 
It's quite a long passage. This chapter 2 is much longer than chapter 1. But this is story time. So you can listen, okay? And we'll listen to the next part of the story of Daniel. And then I've got about three short reflections to make on it. And then at the end, I think we might sing that fantastic song again that we sang during communion, Hallowed Be Your Name. It's a great song, isn't it? A good choice, Renity. Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians and enchanters and the sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we'll interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I've firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and then we will interpret it. And then the king answered, I'm certain that you are trying to gain time because what you have realised is that this is what I've firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing, or any magician or enchanter or astrologer such a thing. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When the commander of the king's guard had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And the king's officer then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Azariah, Hananiah and Mishael. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. 
Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things that lie in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You've made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to the officer whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. So the official took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, Are you? able to tell me what was in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mysteries asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your head as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come and the revealer of mysteries showed you what's going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because I have greater wisdom than any living man, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching... A rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And then the iron, clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind blew and swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. And in your hands he's placed mankind and beasts of the field, the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he's made you ruler over all of them. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. 
Just as you saw that the feet and the toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, that kingdom will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw the iron mixed with the clay. And as the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture. And you will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In that time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown you, king, what will take place in the future. The dream is true. The interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. And then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all his wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much for your, your word. We thank you that it is, indeed, it's a light to our feet, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And... Uh, Father, we pray now that just as we spend these few minutes reflecting on this picture of living in exile and this picture of what's behind the scenes, this revelation of things yet to come, that you'll encourage us, you'll correct us, you'll provoke us, you'll challenge us, you'll bless us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first reflection that I want to bring to you on this chapter, and to be honest, we could probably spend about five or six preaches in this, but uh, we've only got one. And so we're just going to look at at one or two little reflections, and I hope at the end you might not think, well, I I wish he'd covered that bit, and I wish we we should have covered that bit. Well, if you do think that, you've got your own time to do that in. You can look at the passage yourself. But there are just three reflections that I felt... Uh, to bring to us today as we just consider this particular passage. So here's the first one.
We don't know the reason why Daniel and his friends weren't sitting with the wise men. Do you remember at the end of chapter 1, it said that Nebuchadnezzar had recognised that they were ten times wiser than all his wise men. And yet at the beginning of this chapter, we find that they're not sitting in the room. They're not the ones that he was, expect, that we, that he was, he was asking questions of. And that's, I thought about that and I thought, you know what, it's, it's funny, isn't it, how things can, circumstances can change quite quickly for us. In chapter one, we saw that Daniel received loads of favour from people. As you read through the chapter, it says, oh, he had favour from this person and God gave him this and then he had favour from that person. And, and, in, and, and here it seems like, well, they're not sitting in the room anymore. And things can change, circumstances can change for us ever so quickly. We can find that actually we, we felt things were going really well for us, maybe at work or in life generally. You think, oh, it feels like I'm, I'm receiving the favour of God. He's giving me favour with people at the moment. This is really great. But then suddenly the circumstances seem to change. And for Daniel, the circumstances here had changed. He wasn't in the room. We don't know what they were doing, but... Maybe they were just doing what the king had told them to do. They were out and about doing their stuff. And then suddenly trouble seems to come from nowhere. Do you notice that with life? You know, you can be going along, feeling like you're going in a good direction and everything's sort of fairly okay, but then suddenly things change. Suddenly trouble almost seems to come from nowhere. In this passage, as God pulls back the curtain, what we see is that Trouble doesn't come from nowhere. Trouble for the Christian, trouble for the God follower, never comes from nowhere. It might feel like that, folks, when it first comes. But trouble doesn't come from nowhere. Trouble comes from somewhere. And actually, once you're a Christian, you can be absolutely sure that God is in the trouble. God's in the trouble. The why for the trouble is not always apparent. So, you know, what, you know what God could have done? He could have taken Daniel aside beforehand, and we might think, God, it might have been nicer if you'd done this, actually. You know, he could have taken Daniel aside before and said, okay, Daniel, some trouble's coming, okay? I'm, I'm giving Nebuchadnezzar some troublesome dreams. He's going to throw a hissy fit about them. But it's going to be okay because I'm going to give you the interpretation. So don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. I'm giving you the heads up. But God doesn't give us the heads up about trouble. Always. He didn't give Daniel the heads up about this trouble. Daniel wasn't able to interpret at this point when it first starts, you know, going along his merry way and then suddenly some guy comes to find him and say, I'm, 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 I'm here to execute you. Have a nice day. He doesn't know what this is all about. God's not revealed it to him. But, but this trouble that's coming is not from nowhere. Folks, when you belong to Jesus, you can be absolutely sure that when you hit trouble, God has not turned his back, been taken by surprise. He's with you in the trouble. But even more than that, and this may sound crazy, he's in the trouble. He's behind the trouble. Really? Yeah. He sometimes is behind the trouble. He's sovereign. The why is not always apparent. 
And it's up to God whether he reveals to us the reason for the trouble or whether he doesn't. But I can know these two things because the Bible tells me actually about trouble and so I might not know the specific reason at this particular time for the trouble. But I can know two things about it. The first thing is, if God's not going to explain it to me, then he clearly knows that it's better for me not to know. If God's not going to explain it, he knows it's better that I don't know. And the second thing I can be sure of when I don't understand the trouble, when I don't understand it, is that somehow or other he's going to get more glory by me not understanding and knowing about this. I, um, I, I hope Simi won't mind me saying this, but Simi and Ibi, obviously, we know that. There was some real just tra- challenge after Timiwa was born. And uh, it's interesting that a couple of weeks ago we were in church and Simi prayed out. Oh my goodness. This was like a prayer of thanksgiving and adoration and worship from a guy who's just gone through the mill with his family. It stirred worship in him. Now, God didn't choose to tell Ibi and Simi beforehand what, were, what they were going to go through. And actually, do you know what? I think those, it's for those very two reasons. When I spoke to Ibi as well a couple of weeks ago, just about it, and we talked about it, and we, said, she said, we talked about the fact that oh, if she'd known what it was going to be like, oh, my goodness me. Oh, no. oh, I'm glad I didn't know. I'm glad I didn't know beforehand what this was going to be like. But, oh, God was with me in it. God was with me in it. And then, and then you hear Simi's prayer of just worship and thanksgiving that's just bubbling up out of him after they've gone through this fairly horrendous experience after the birth of their little one. If God had told Daniel beforehand what was going to happen, it wouldn't have stirred the level of worship and thanksgiving that he had after God gave him the interpretation. Do you remember what it says? Listen to what he says. You know, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He's talked to his friends. He said, pray for goodness sake. And then during the night, God reveals it. And he says, oh, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times. He reveals deep and hidden things. Oh, I thank you and I praise you, oh God of my fathers. Can you hear it coming out of him? You know what? Sometimes when trouble comes and we don't know the reason why, it's because God's saying, yeah, but I'm going to act on your behalf. Do you know that? And at the end of me acting on your behalf, you are going to be so filled with adoration and admiration for me that you're going to go to another level in worship and in intimacy with me that you wouldn't have gone to if I told you it was going to happen beforehand. It leads to worship. It leads to thanksgiving. It leads to awe and wonder. Oh, God, this trouble, but oh, you've come through for me again. Sometimes God doesn't reveal the reason for trouble because he knows what's best for us and he knows he will get more glory if he doesn't. 
You know I love hymns, don't you? So here's a line from a really old hymn written by a guy called William Cooper, who was a friend of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. So it was about the 1700s. He says this. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and will break with blessings on your head. Sort of saying, you see the grey clouds up there? You're dreading those. Do you know what? They're big with God's mercy. They'll break with blessing on you. That's the promise for us. Second thing then. What we see here is that there are times when it's right to act. There are times when it's right to act. In Ecclesiastes, you know that lovely passage in Ecclesiastes where it says that there's a time for everything under the sun and it gives you this whole list of things, a time to be born and a time to die. It goes through all this list of things. And one of the things it says is there is a time to speak and a time to be silent. And certainly when we go through trouble, sometimes it's a time to be silent. Yes, when, we've, when we're called to be silent, we're following footsteps of the Lord Jesus where it talks about him going to the cross and not objecting, not trying to fight his corner like a lamb to the slaughter as a lamb before his shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth, that's what he says and there are definitely times when it's right, when we're in trouble to just be silent, to just wait on God, to act to not act to try and get our own justice or whatever it is, but just to wait in silence. And there are other times when it's right to act. And the acting bit can feel a little bit scary. If you're in a difficult position at work or in university or even at home and you know that there's something that's not right that you've probably got to talk about, you've got to address it, you've got to act, and it can feel scary. Daniel, at this point, acts. It says that he speaks to the official with wisdom and tact. Now, here's the thing. In chapter 1, it tells us that the very thing that God has given to these four young men is wisdom. He's already given him what he needs. It's right for Daniel to act. He's got to act, but God's already given him what he needs for acting in this moment. At this particular point, God has not given him the interpretation of the dream. He's not told Daniel what the dream is. Daniel's got to act. He knows he's got to act. He senses God's telling him to act. Actually, he's got what he needs to act in that moment. He's got the wisdom. It says that he spoke to the official with wisdom and tact. And the chapter before tells us that God gave Daniel and Azariah and Hananiah and Mishael wisdom above their peers. God had already given him what he needed to act. When God calls us not to be silent but to act in trouble, he gives us what we need. Don't be afraid. He gives you what you need for that moment. He might not give you what you need to follow through tomorrow, but he gives you what you need for that moment. Don't be afraid when you know God's telling you to act, to think, 
yeah, but I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I don't have, I've got the wisdom for this moment, but I've absolutely no idea what I will do about this when it's followed through. You know, sometimes that can stop us acting. We can think, I don't think, here's the t- term I would use, well, I'm not qualified for that. I don't think I'm qualified to do that. I don't, I don't think I have the experience. No, no, no. If you feel God is prompting you to act, he'll give you what you need to act now. And then he'll give you what you need to follow through when you need it, not before. Do you know what fear is when fear grips us? Fear is sort of projecting ourselves into a future where God's grace hasn't reached yet. And why hasn't God's grace reached into that future yet? Well, because it hasn't needed to, because we're not there yet. I've got his grace today, haven't I? Did you have his grace yesterday? Did you? You can trust him for his grace tomorrow. Can you see what that grace is going to look like? No. He's probably not going to show you. Can you trust that it will be there? Yes. That means that with confidence I can act. If God is prompting me to, even if I don't quite know how I'm going to follow through on this, because he's given me what I need for today. Grace for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Daniel acts, and then he does the thing that I would really encourage all of us to do. It's, do you remember what it says? He goes home, and he tells his friends, and he says, plead for mercy. that God will reveal the king's dreams so that all the wise men aren't executed, and we're not executed along with them. Plead for mercy. Come on, pray. Daniel does what I would encourage all of us to do when we're going through those moments. Oh my goodness me, this has just happened. What do we do? We get on the phone, we get, we get people to pray. We go, we go home and we get people to pray. We connect with our church family and other people who we know will, will pray for us and pray with us and, and talk with us and help us. We, go, we pray. That's the first step to take. Well, perhaps it's the second. You've taken your step of faith. You've been obedient. There's been this urge from the Holy Spirit that you've felt. I need to act. I don't want to act. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, but I'm going to do it. Okay, so what does he do? He goes to the official. He says, give me an audience with the king. Right, I'll act. I'll act. He goes into the king. He talks with wisdom and diplomacy. He buys time. He buys time, but he's still got no idea whether God's going to give him the interpretation but he, he does it because God's told him. And then what does he do? He goes home and he worries. And he, ah! No, he doesn't. He goes home and he prays. And he gets his mates to pray. Guys, we've got to pray. Act with faith with what God's given you for the day. Go home and pray and get other people to pray with you. Expect that tomorrow he'll give you what you need how it works for Christians. Did you know that? It's the best news possible. That's how it works. Some of us sitting in this room have been through extraordinarily difficult times. Were you to ask any of them, did God not come through for you? The answer to that, I think if you ask them, will be negative. It will be, oh no, he did. 
came through. He came through for me. If you love him and follow him, if your life is devoted to him, he will come through for you in trouble. You may not understand why it's happening, but he is in it, he is with you, and he will give you what you need when you need it, not usually before. And what will that do? It will bring the simi prayer out of you. Oh God, I love you. I've just been through this stuff, but you were there and you acted in this way and that way and oh my goodness. Because you know what God really wants? He wants you. He wants your attention. He wants your love. He wants, he wants you to enjoy his love. And the way he does that is he surprises us with how good he is. And then we're drawn in worship to him and intimacy. There are times when it's right to act, but God will give you what you need at the right time. Here's the last reflection. It's God's world, and it's God's timeline. Not ours. It's his. It's God's world. It's God's timeline. So let's just for a second visit that rather odd dream and the interpretation of it. So do you remember there's these, there's these four empires that it talks about? There's Nebuchadnezzar, who's the gold head, and then there's the silver bit and the bronze bit and the, and the iron bit that ends up with iron and clay at the bottom. Now we, folks, have the benefit of sitting the other side of that prophecy. This was about 600 years before Jesus came. And here's what most scholars think this prophecy was talking about. It was talking about the great four world empires from Daniel's time onwards. So here they are. The Babylonians. Okay, so we know about that one. That's where he is at the moment. Okay. After the Babylonians, the Babylonians are then defeated and it's this, this um, group called the Persians, the Medes and the Persians. That's the next big empire. right? Then the next big empire after that is the Greeks. And then the fourth empire after that, remember there were four, is the Romans. Who came during Roman times? Came during Roman times. You remember the picture of the rock that smashes and becomes like a mountain that fills the whole earth? We sit the other side of that, but that's what scholars think that it's sort of referring to. Other scholars will say, Yes, it may have been referring to that, but actually this is also a picture for us as the church of what, so that the curtains pull back and we understand the world we live in. That actually his kingdom is growing and expanding and one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. Do you know what? That is really, really encouraging for us. That would have been encouraging. Can you imagine what Daniel and his friends felt like when that dream came? Oh, my goodness me. You see, this, this kingdom is going to be not, not it's cut out of the rock, not, not by human hand, and it's going to smash all of this, all of this stuff that we're under all the mo- at the moment, all this exile that we're living under. When will we ever be free of it? But no, there is God spoken and said the day is going to come. When all of this nonsense, when all of this oppression 
when all of the tears and all of the suffering and all of the injustice will be smashed to bits and the kingdom of our God and of his Christ will be filling the whole earth and the whole universe. Oh my goodness. You know what, that prophecy is helpful for us on the days when we live in the world and we look around us and we think, what on earth is happening? We probably think that quite a lot in our nation at the moment, don't we? Oh, my, what, another one resigned? He, what's he, oh my goodness, what on earth is happening? We might think that these days are unprecedented. Do you know what? My grandparents lived through two world wars. This is not unprecedented. This is exactly what the Bible predicts will happen. There will be wars and rumours of wars, Jesus says, and then the end will come. So what this does, while we're living in exiles, folks, it encourages us that there is a day when his kingdom will finally fully come. It might come while we're still on earth. It might come after we've passed away from this earthly life. But if it does come after we've passed away from this earthly life, then we've got all the reassurances that he will catch us up in the air. The dead will be raised, that's what it says in the Bible. And we will be changed to be like him. His kingdom's coming. Do you know that? When you look at the world and think, oh my goodness me, what on earth is happening with this world? What on earth is happening? And we can get tempted to be caught up in the conversations at work about, oh my goodness me, it's just isn't it terrible the way the world's going. And we are the only people on earth who have the message of hope. Yeah, it is. You know, but actually, do you know what? The Bible's always said it's going this way. But there's this glorious kingdom that's coming. Do you want to be part of that glorious kingdom that's coming? We have this wonderful opportunity of sharing what we know because God has been kind enough to us, folks, to draw back the curtain so that we see what's happening behind the scenes. And while we're living in exile, we can cling to that for hope. How do we live in exile? This is how Daniel shows us that we live in exile. We resolve to honour God in the way we live. We remain alert to the desire of the God of this age to try and assimilate us and draw us in. We seek the welfare of the city he's put us in. We speak about what's coming. Hebrews says this, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. May we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the amazingly comforting words that you said to your disciples and you say to us, just as you were about to leave this world, and you said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And we thank you that in trouble you're with us. We thank you for your word that just pulls back the curtain so that we can understand something of what's happening in the background. We thank you that you are behind 
all the things that happen, you are utterly, absolutely sovereign. We thank you that we can say, like Joseph says when trouble comes, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. You, God, are the amazing transformer who transforms trouble and hardship into mercy and glory. And we love you and we want to live with our eyes on the enduring city that you in your mercy and grace have revealed to us. And we thank you that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We love you. Help us to follow you this coming week, we pray. Be with us as we talk and eat together now. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.